sort of extreme solution I'm looking for. Hand myself over to the electric chair and that would be the end of it. On the other hand, given the American system, I could end up on death row with years and years of no-smoking appeals all the way up to the Supreme Court ahead of me and then be put down without a last cigarette. Surely this would approach the cruel and unusual treatment their constitution forbids. How can anyone decide what is cruel and unusual for someone else? Only I know how unusual it is for me not to have a cigarette, how cruel it is for me to be deprived of one. The judges in the various American courts, who would decide against me, as they doubtless would, what sort of men and women would they be? If they were told that if they allowed me a last cigarette, their lives would be blessed with peace and joy, as would their children's, and their children's children, even unto etc., would they say, Hey, it does seem a little tough to send the old English guy to the chair without letting him have one last cigarette. Or would they remain true to... to what? What would they be true to? Is it just or decent or humane? No, it is unusual and cruel. It is American. Is any of this helping me to give up smoking? How am I going to do it? Perhaps the solution is to throw away all my packets and my lighters. Yes, I might do that. Tomorrow we go back to London. Perhaps it would be more sensible to start stopping then. I'm not sure that I can do it entirely by willpower. There are various aids, patches, lozenges, gum. But I've tried nicotine gum about twenty years ago when you needed a prescription which made it more appealing by making it seem almost illicit. In no time, it seemed to me, I'd swapped clouds of nicotine in the lungs for pools of it in the stomach. Just as I'd never been without something between my lips, I was now never without something between my jaws. I kept this up for six months, six months of worse than the usual indigestion, a drain-like smell around my mouth, the grinding of teeth upon teeth, and I might still be doing it, or more likely be dead from it, if I hadn't undertaken to direct one of my plays in New York, and had to deal with a very difficult actor, an eye-rolling, shoulder-shrugging, gesticulatory young ham of an actor. One night... In the interval of a preview, I found myself at the bar nearest the theatre, trembling with rage at a new on-stage walk he'd developed, as if he had two wooden legs or had soiled himself. I ordered a double whisky, then plodded to the cigarette machine, put in the right number of quarters, pulled out a packet of Marlboros and a book of matches. It wasn't until I was on my third or fourth cigarette that I realised I was smoking again, and knew that from then on there was no going forward. Well, until now, of course. But my point is that gum, lozenges, patches won't do the trick. It really does have to be by a sustained act of will, by resolution. Give myself a date. If the purpose of this diary is to accompany me on my journey as I struggle not to have a cigarette, day after day, hour by hour, minute on minute, struggle to go without a cigarette, then why, as I write this, have I just put out a cigarette? Why am I now lighting another one? I should put it out. Why not put it out? Now! Start stopping smoking! Now! Actually, I'm struggling to fend off a sudden yearning for a hot dog. I really don't understand this at all, because hot dogs are shiny, pink and brown, rubbery sort of sausages, enclosed between two halves of an elongated synthetic bun, with runny red and green sauces over the sausage that leak through the bun into the palm of your hand. And when I write it out like this, I cannot understand how I could conceivably be yearning for one, and indeed I no longer am. 
What I must have been yearning for was the sight and the smell of a hot dog as I experienced it when I was six or seven years old in Montreal. Certain Sundays were hot dog Sundays. Grandpa and our Aunt Gerd would take us to the park. Grandpa would buy hot dogs from a cart attached to a horse. Gert would supervise the putting on of tomato ketchup, French mustard and that green stuff, and then present us with exactly what I have described above, which would make us, my brother Nigel and me, almost swoon with pleasure. We were sent back to England a year before the war ended, when I was eight, and I remember being haunted by the memory of Montreal hot dogs through the long London years of rationing, when the main feature of food was its absence, especially noticeable to boys who were in the Canadian habit of too much of it, until eventually we fell into the English habit of too little of it. It took a French boy staying with us on exchange to bring the too little of it back to our attention. His appetite hadn't been reduced.